0: We're going to talk about getting angry today. Who among us has ever been angry before? Anybody here? Yeah, there the hands went up. There's a question you can ask and get results from. Turn to the person next to you, or just ruminate in your own minds if you're by yourself and don't want to talk to anybody. Um, uh, Turn to the person next to you. Tell the last time that you got angry. Not just angry in your head, angry in such a way that it was visible to everybody else around you, whether it's in what you said or in what you threw or something like that. Tell someone next to you, what was the last time you got Angry. Uh, As we get going this morning. I'm hearing chuckles. It's a good sign. Hopefully it wasn't on the way here today and you're still mad. And you're revisiting it now. Sometimes I ask questions, and I ask you to send the uh, answers back you know by yelling them out i'm going to hold off on that on this one i uh I'll tell you the last time that Eleanor and I uh experienced you know kind of a, a brief fit of displeasure and anger. We were walking our dog yesterday in our neighborhood, and there's a, a couple uh, uh neighbors of ours who have their dogs bigger than ours, you know uh, kind of running around without a leash and and this one particular dog just loves to charge us. I'm sure it's a gentle beast, right, but uh I'm just like. Electric fence, people, or something. Just keep them in your yard, right? And it just so happens on this particular day that one of our neighbors, you know, saw, tried to get their dog before it got to us and, and ate our puppy. And uh, uh, and we we had a brief exchange. I'll confess to you, there had been times where I was so angry at this dog, there was murder in my mind. I'm just telling you, right there. I just, I, I'm like, this should not be. I'm just being honest. This was not one of those times, but still one of those times where we had an, I call it an elevated conversation. Has anybody ever had, you're not like being, you know, mean or, un, you know, unkind in your words, but you're being clear. This probably shouldn't happen. Has anybody been there? I don't know what yours was. Anger happens all the time. We're going to watch Jesus get angry today. We're going to note that Jesus gets angry about different things than you and I get angry about. In fact, just by a show of hands, anybody, the last time you got angry, it was for something Stupid. Yeah, we're good at that, aren't we? We're really good at that. This is, this is not worth it, but I am going uh, off on this anyway. The sermon's not about this, but let me hit this real quick for the sake of everybody. Uh, it tells us, Paul tells the, writer, or the readers in Ephesians, uh, the, the believers there, to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I'm gonna leave that up there again. Let's read that together. This is what God says about anger. Everybody ready? What's it say? Be angry and do not sin. I can't hear you. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and, do not, or, and give no opportunity to the devil. So, so basically the Bible's very clear. You're gonna get angry, be angry, but just don't sin. There's a couple ways you can sin. You could sin by letting anger control you and your words and your actions and all of a sudden you're just way off the ranch and doing what is proper with anger. There's also things that you can get angry about that are not worth it. And therefore the anger, no matter how you express it, is a sin, are you with me? It goes on and it says, don't let the sun go down on the anger. Uh, it's, it's one of the only commands or one of the only warnings in scripture that gives a time frame. You got until it gets dark to deal with your anger. I put this in the vows of all the wedding uh, participants that I marry. It's, 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 it's kind of hidden in there. They're not expecting it. It's a harder phrase to say than some of the other lines. Uh, but I put it in there very intentionally because I believe in marriage, if uh, couples could figure this out, We'd be, you know, far better off in the long run uh, working out the things that could separate us in our relationship. We could just sort it out before the sun goes down instead of peeling out. That's what people do. They don't sort out, they peel out. They get in their tire or their cars and they squawk their tires or they slam their doors. And then they wake up, this is a funny thing, they wake up in the morning like nothing happened. Anybody in that relationship? Yes, yeah, something happened. And we haven't dealt with it yet. And it's going to affect us adversely. Anyway, this is not what this sermon's about, but be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. It's, it, it's also one of the only uh, warnings in scripture that says, hey, this is where Satan gets into your life. you ever heard the phrase, the devil's playground? We use it for all kinds of things. You know what the literal devil's playground is? Anger. That's where he loves to play. He loves to come in, and especially on those unresolved angers, he loves to stoke that fire, doesn't he? Last night, Eller and I, uh, we, uh, um, we shop at these big box stores that don't give you bags to put your stuff in, so they give you, like, the boxes that all their stuff came in so they can haul things out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so these boxes accumulate in our garage. And every once in a while, because we live in a, a place where, I don't know if we can do this legally, this is probably a confession. Can you turn the cameras off, please? Anyway, uh, anyway. <laughs> But we burn our boxes, you know, in the fire pit that we got in our backyard. And last night was the night that we burned our boxes. We had recently gone through our files. Anybody need to do this? Gone through your fi- uh, We went through our files and we found all of these documents from 25 years ago in our marriage for the house insurance of the first home we ever bought. It's this big fat booklet of insurance that we don't own anymore. We had like 50 of them. We had a lot of insurance. Anyway, uh, uh, but we took all these files out of our filing cabinet and we threw them in the fire. Here's the point. Boxes went up like that. Should have been a five minute fire. You know what, when you stack paper thick and then stack it on top of stacks of paper, that doesn't burn fast. There's this whole oxygen thing apparently that needs to get in there so that things can burn. And so I spent about 15 minutes just pushing piles of paper off of each other with my stoker so that this whole thing can burn. I thought about what I was preaching to today. That's what Satan does. He loves to take the stacks of our anger that we pile up in our lives and at these weird, inopportune times, he loves to go, yeah, let's get that burning again. And let's let that divide us in our relationships. And let's, let's let that uh, you know uh, get us removed from our employment. And let's let that you know lead us to all these crazy decisions we would have never, ever made because we've never dealt in a righteous way with our anger. Again, not what I'm talking about today. You want to hear what I'm really talking about today? We're going to watch Jesus get angry. Last week, if you were here... Uh, we watched Jesus at a wedding this very private kind of secluded ceremony uh, and he uh, uh, put on display his grace and his mercy and his his love for people no one was going to die in this situation they just ran out of wine but he says you know what let me show you who I am now first of all I'm God I'm a miracle maker I'm the creator and I can recreate from water I can make wine but I'm also the grace giver in situations where you can't help yourself I can help you and that's why I've come well, John, in his writing of this gospel, kind of handcuffs or, or couples with this story of Jesus' grace uh, a story of Jesus' wrath, his anger. It's still going to work out to where he puts the grace in there at the end. We'll see that in a second. But he shows this other side. Of Jesus John the Baptist in, in chapter 2 uh, is hanging out with some of his early followers and his whole job is to tell it you know uh, tell everybody that the, that the Messiah is coming And and, and, and in, in chapter 2 he identifies um, uh, or at the end of chapter 1 he identifies Jesus and he says behold remember what he called him the Lamb of what Lamb of God. And in in Israel, everybody knew who that was. That was the sacrificial lamb. But he he said, Lamb, behold this this gift from God, this lamb from God. Well, we've been talking about him in terms of that. But now we're going to see what John calls Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, where the story shifts. First time Jesus comes, it's mostly grace and lamb stuff. But the second time when Jesus comes back, that's not what he's coming for. The second time Jesus comes back, he comes back as a lion. John calls him the Lion of Judah in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. He goes on in that telling of, of how things will end by depicting Jesus as riding on a white horse like a general, but he doesn't need all the armies that accompany him. He's going to have this sword, his word, that comes out of his mouth, and he's basically going to waylay all the people who have either denied or defied his father, and it's not going to be a pretty sight. I firmly believe in the wrath of God. It's righteous and right for a holy God, To bring due those uh, who have offended him. But we get a little snippet of that here in the story as it folds forward. John chapter 2, verse 12. Here we go. <clears throat> After this, he went down to Capernaum. After the wedding, Cana Galilee, he goes to a place called Capernaum. He spends a lot of time there in his early days uh, doing lots of different things. We'll talk more about that later. He's with his mom, his brothers, and these early disciples, these five guys who have started hanging out with Jesus here in this first week or so of his uh, story. as depicted by John in his gospel. Uh, They stayed there for a few days and then they kind of tip us off. It's around late March, early April in our calendars uh, here in the story of Jesus because it's the Passover. That's when the Passover occurs, coincides often with our Easter celebration. Uh, But the Passover of the Jews was at hand and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem Here we go. Here's the map. This is Galilee up here, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, you know, uh, Dead Sea down here. Jerusalem's down here in the southern part of Israel, and Jesus is up here. And a lot of times people say, well, how can you say he's going up to Jerusalem if he's north? He's going south, down. That's how we read our maps. They read their maps more topographically, so so they went by elevation. If you went up to Jerusalem, you were going up those seven hills that comprise the city of Jerusalem, and so you were heading up. That's extra. I may not say that next service. Congratulations. Here we go. All right. <laughs> it's the Passover. Anybody remember what the Passover is all about? Yeah. They are well, it, it's in there, but basically it's it's the remembrance of the last plague of Egypt. The, the, the night that uh, the, the God sent the, the angel of death into Egypt to kill the firstborns of the Egyptians, uh, and, and the only way that the Israelites could assure that they would be uh, kept out of this judgment is they took the blood of a lamb, put it on their doorpost, and then the angel of death, say it with me, passed over. Yeah. And so uh, yearly they would celebrate this miracle, this remembrance of their deliverance. And that's where Jesus is. John, John, just last thing, John kind of tells the story of Jesus between Passovers. He starts here early in his ministry, first Passover. His life will end at the last Passover of his earthly existence, his earthly time where he is taken you know, in, uh, into custody and wrongly accused and crucified for your sins of mine. And then he raises from the grave so that you and I might have life in him. Is that worth getting excited about or what, right? So, but it's the Passovers, it's the Passovers that bookend the story in John's gospel. So he walks in into a, a, a festivity that he'd seen many times. In Luke 2, he was there as a 12-year-old. We can reason that as a good Jewish man, Jesus had been to Passover every year of his life. But on this year, it's going to be different. Verse 14, he, he comes into the temple, and, and he finds those who are selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. Now, everybody picture the temple with me. The temple mount, 35 acres. square. You know, not square, it's kind of a trapezoid. Remember trapezoids? It's like, a, it's like a crazy square. Anyway, but it's this 35-acre it's this plot of land, uh, and, and sitting in the middle of it, basically, is, is the, the, the actual temple temple, the, 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 the holy place and the holy of holies were encased kind of in this one building. But everything else was just kind of open, kind of you know, square. So like our property is about 45 acres. If you drove up here this morning and you're like, wow, you know, this is a lot of land, uh, this was just a little bit bigger than the temple itself, the Temple Mount. In the Temple Mount, there were these uh, designated spots for different things, um, and inside the, the, the Court of the Gentiles, it was called, uh, is where Jesus is walking into. He's, he's walking into a space that is not meant to be selling oxen and sheep and birds. It's not meant to be the place where the money is exchanged so that people can pay their temple talk tax. It's not meant for that at all. But historically, the Jewish high priests have kind of had a side hustle, it right, starts way back in Samuel with this guy named Eli and his sons. They were eating the, the meat of the sacrifices they weren't supposed to be having. But here, in, this, in the time of Jesus, the high priest is a guy named Annas. Everybody say Annas. And Annas had this, uh, Josephus, this historian, says that Annas had what was called Annas's Bazaar, the Bazaar of Annas'. Annas, it's hard to say, and you've got to be careful. Anyway, everybody know what a bazaar is? It's like a flea market. And what he had done is he basically rigged everything uh, to, to work in his favor. So all of Israel basically is coming to Jerusalem, uh, a town that probably, or a city that had about 100,000 people would swell to be 300,000, 500,000, depending on which historian you read. But they're all coming here to give these sacrifices at Passover. And they bring uh, often their own animals. That's what they were supposed to do. From their own flocks, bring you know uh, the, the best of the herd and, and make the sacrifice to God. Guess what Anastas had done? He had rigged it so that his people, who were the inspectors of the sacrifices for blemishes, would basically reject every sacrifice. And guess what you had to do? You had to buy it from him at airport prices. Anybody ever been there? You got, you got your coffee, and you're, you're all excited to have a drink as soon as you get through TSA, and then TSA, TSA says, you're not taking that in there, and you have to buy it for three times the price on the other side of that magic gate, right? Well, that's what Anus was pulling. Reject all the sacrifices, make them buy them from us. He was also uh, scalping them on the temple tax. The temple tax was only accepted in Tyrian. Shekels. There was a place called Tyre. There's apparently a currency from there called Tyrian Shekels. And so if you wanted to pay your temple tax, wherever you came from, Arizona, uh, you know, anyway, uh, you would have to go and, and exchange your money at his tables for the rates that he gave. Anybody been in that place in the airport? If you're traveling internationally, I'd like to change these English, you know, whatever's uh, pound sterling, I think they're called to American dollars. You're going to pay that guy for that money. And Annas got another taste. Jesus had probably seen this in his previous Passover pilgrimages, but the time had come for him to make a statement of a different kind. Look what it says in verse 15. It says, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. What a scene. Like if this was happening right now, phones are up. Everybody's taking video. This is trending immediately because this is the national place of worship for all of Israel. And this carpenter from Nazareth has entered into one of the busiest times in temple experience. And he has carefully, calmly, I think, taken uh, these ropes. Most scholars think the ropes came from the animals as they were being sacrificed. They would be let in on a leash, and then they would be given to the priests and sacrificed, and then the ropes were no longer necessary. And so they took all these leashes, all these leads, and he basically wove them together, braided them into a big kind of rope club. And then he just starts walking around, and he starts knocking beasts and men with this club ticking over tables, and he clears. Now, this is the part where me and some of the staff, as we talked about things, had a little conversation. I I think this is a miraculous event. Like the the, the water and the wine, cool, super miraculous. God shows his might there uh, in Jesus. But here, Jesus is in the middle of what is probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. They only did sacrifices from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. And so everybody had to get in there fast. Everybody's queued up, waiting for their turn to give their sacrifice. And Jesus looks around and says, "Uh uh-uh. And he just starts flailing. So much so that it says there that all of them, is he talking animals? Is he talking men and animals? If it's men and animals, he clears out probably the size of a super Walmart of all the Black Friday shoppers when that used to be a thing. Are you with me? He just clears the place out. Now think about this, this is why I think it's miraculous. A carpenter, sure there, he's a tradesman, he's got strong arms, but but a carpenter against all these people who, by the way, have been waiting in line for a long time. If someone tells you you gotta get out of line, you getting out of line? No, I'm not getting out of line. Been waiting here all day. And, and, and so they don't, the people that he's shooing don't want to shoo. The people who are in charge, like we got orange shirts all over our room today. They're our security team. So grateful for you guys and ladies who keep us safe. But they had their own security team. They called the temple police. And the temple police would have been like, hey, you know, trouble, aisle nine. I don't know what it was. And, and, and they would go over there and they would grab the carpenter and be like, yeah, dude, this isn't you. This isn't your job. This is not. And, and none of them were able to stop him. He mean, empties the whole place. I don't know if you ever let like the the stories of scripture wash over you that way. This was cool. Amazing. Miraculous. We're not talking about the lamb of God here. We're talking about the lion. And so at the time that I've left with you, let me just kind of make a a, a few observations here. What what made Jesus so mad? What made him so mad? And we're going to find out in his answers to some questions or in his statements as he's doing this What it was that made Jesus so mad. It's it's still the things that make him mad today, just so you know. What makes Jesus so mad? The first thing is anything that inhibits the worship of God makes Jesus mad. It says in verse 16 that he told those who sold the pigeons... Take these birds away. I don't know why he picked on the pigeon guys. I'm sure he said it you know, enough so everybody could hear. But he said, take these birds away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Later in his story, at the end of his life, he's going to go back into this same temple. He's going to clean it out one more time. He's going to say, hey, you have made what is meant to be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. Get them out. So you got something to get Pigeons? Has he got something against sacrifices? No, he fulfilled the law perfectly. What he's so riled up about is what he sees in this space that is meant to be dedicated to the worship of his father. You know what it'd be like? It'd be like right now as I'm preaching God's word, someone coming in here with a marching band and kind of posting up right in the middle of our room and just you know starting to play whatever they wanna play. And I'll be like, hey, you guys trying to pay attention to me, don't pay attention to the marching band. And then in these doors, someone walks in with a herd of goats and they post up with their smells and their noises right there in the back corner by that camera. And then behind me, there's all the people, you know, uh, gathered around an ATM basically saying, no, these are the rates. You've got to pay this much to get this much. And in this place where the worship of God is meant to be central, it's anything but. But. I'm wondering if uh, the words of Isaiah the prophet came to the mind of some who watched this all unfold This is what Isaiah said as he opens his prophecy to the nation of Israel. He says, what to me, speaking on behalf of God, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats, even though he required those sacrifices in his law. He says, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you the trampling of my courts? Why do you make a mockery? of this place that is meant to be about my worship. He says stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me as for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting. They are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. Instead of these pious religious ceremonial expressions. What God hopes here in his temple in the time of Jesus and here in these places of worships that you and I inhabit is heartfelt worship, not going through the motions, understanding and giving of God our best. He talks about it as much in, in a few chapters. We'll get to it later in the, in the series, but he sits down with this woman in Samaria and, and they have this long conversation. Basically, uh, she's just kind of putting him off and blowing him off about drinking water and he has water that'll never run out, whatever. And then Jesus says this incredible thing, I, you know, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. That's right, you've had five and the guy that you're sleeping with right now is not your husband. Now you got my attention. And so the lady, kind of thrown by that, starts talking religion. She says this in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mount. She's at a point in a place called Mount Gerizim. The, the Samaritans worshipped God there because they weren't welcome in Jerusalem. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. But the hour, verse 23, is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. He says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus makes it very clear here in this conversation with this woman. It's not about where. It's about how. It's not about the religious steps that are prescribed. It's it's the heart with which you do them that matters. What matters is that we worship him in spirit and in truth. In Deuteronomy 6, um, Moses writes down, um, what the chief command is in all of Scripture? To love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or your heart, soul, and strength, uh, essentially. Here, you were supposed to love. And, and, and just so you can understand, well, Mark, I try to worship. Okay, if you worship God without love in your heart, in your spirit, coming, emanating from your insides, if you sing the songs and aren't loving God as you're singing them, focused on God as you sing them, if you sing the songs and think I don't like this song, it's not my style. It's too fast, it's too loud, it's too slow, it's too soft. Then you are loving you as you sing about God. And what God wants in any form of worship is a heart that is set on Him. That's what it means to worship Him in spirit from inside out. We worship him in truth. We don't give over to false ideas about God. We worship him according to the doctrines that are laid out for us in scripture, but as truth is kind of put in place and our hearts are filled with this awe and this sense of who God is, and we worship him in that truth and in this passion. In so many places, there's all kinds of passion and no truth, or there's all kinds of truth and no passion. And what God wants from us is this loving, spirit of worship. Remember what it said in 1 Corinthians? It says, if I uh, speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm noise. I'm a a resounding gong, gong and a clanging cymbal. It speaks of other forms of worship. It says, if I prophesy, if I have all knowledge, if I have faith, but I don't have love, I've got nothing. If I give generously, if I sacrifice totally, but I have no love, I've got nothing. What the scriptures say over and over again, is that worship happens when the love of God flows from us to him and he gets the glory that he deserves. What made Jesus toss the temple? He didn't see true worship. He didn't see hearts that loved his father. It's kind of good news in a pandemic uh, situation, isn't it? It's not the where, it's the how. Because, like, if it was the where back in March and April when weren't nobody going anywhere to worship God, uh, well, we would have missed a whole lot of worship, right? But thankfully, as we hung out in our houses and I had that weird experience of watching myself preach to myself, it was weird. We could still, and even as you're watching at home right now, you could still worship God wherever you are as long as you're worshiping him in spirit and in truth, Right? Can I caution us though? I I think uh, certainly at home where there's all kinds of things that can distract us and even here where phones are just this far away and uh, distractions abound as we bring whatever was going on before we got in here and think about whatever's coming up when we leave here that it's really easy to as these temple goers at Passover and this season as Jesus joined them To just kind of look the part, but not really be engaging with the one true God. The second thing that Jesus got so mad at, the first part was obviously the the fact that people were worshiping God and and not really worshiping God. Uh, But the second thing he gets mad is that, he gets mad at anything that cheapens the name of God. Anything that cheapens the name of God makes Jesus pretty angry. will go to, as John uh, writes in his reflection here in verse 17, he says this, he says, his disciples, and there's only five of them at this point, <laughs> his disciples remembered uh, what was written in the Psalms. In Psalm 69, it says, zeal for your house will consume me. You don't believe me? Here's Psalm 69, the first part of Psalm 69, verse nine says this, for zeal for your house will has consumed me. They, they thought, oh, this must be prophetic. This, this psalm must be speaking of the Messiah. He's, he's come to the temple and he's shown zeal for the house of God, the worship of God in this temple of God. And he's, he's allowed it to consume to the point that he's done something about it. He's understood that there's a certain amount of reverence, that, 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 that he needs to protect what God intended for this place to be. It's not unlike you being uh, you know at a, at a place where the national anthem's playing with your your son standing next to you with a hat on. I did this uh, when when my kids were coming up. You know, the anthem would start playing, and of course I'm you know, hand over heart and standing at attention. I look down, my kid's got still got his hat on. And I, I should have been more gentle. Anybody? But I just immediately reached down, I grabbed my kid's hat, and he's like, Hey! And now, you know, now we're yelling in the middle of the national anthem, yay. But after the anthem was done, you know, I said, "Hey, man, my bad. I didn't tell you before. But anytime our anthem plays, you stop and you pay your respects to, you know, uh, what God has given us in His country and for all those who, you know, help make us free. It's just not—it's not not a mess around time. Take your hat off, and 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 this is what. So, so that I love America, but trust me, uh, I love God infinitely more than I love my country. Are you with me?" And so, if America gets our hat off, uh, Jesus, here in the temple, says, you guys, we can't keep doing this kind of half-worship stuff, going through the motions. He had a zeal that consumed him, but his zeal didn't just consume him. His zeal for the house didn't just consume him. Uh, He... He feels the reproach of those who reproach his father. Look what it says in verse nine, the last part that isn't quoted here in John chapter two, it says, for your zeal of your house has consumed me and the reproaches or the uh, insults, uh, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. It says, if they've fallen on me myself. I used to hang out with my friends in college and, um, my mom's got a great sense of humor, and so sometimes we'd you know, talk, and I'd tell you know, jokes and stories about my mom and who she was. And one day, my roommate uh, you know, uh, basically came up to me, and in, in the line of that conversation, he, he basically told a mama joke about my mom. You may remember the mama jokes? Like, your mama's so fat or whatever, they're horrible. Anyway, but he basically he just wanted to be a part of the play, and the, the immediate uh, you know, shift in the, in the room happened when I was like, hey man, you can't say that about my mom. He's like, you were saying it about your mom just a second ago. It's like, that's totally different. That's my mom. You can make fun of your mom. I can make fun of my mom, but you're not making fun of my mom. Them's fighting words. You feel that connected to God that when he's maligned, you feel the reproach. I think a lot of times we become numb to that kind of stuff in our entertainment. It's part of our vernacular. We get flippant with his name. Include it in all kinds of spicy talk. But here's the deal. God is holy. He is set apart far above you and I. Worthy of all glory, respect, and honor. And it should register with us when he, like, like I talk with people who don't believe in God and, and, and even as they're talking about why they disbelieve, and st- when it kind of moves into disrespect or dishonor, I, I want to stay in that conversation so that they can you know, continue to hear from me and, and hopefully respond to, to, to the call of God in their lives. But there, there's some points I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, man, that's my heavenly father you're talking about. Let's pull it back. <laughs> So what gets Jesus so mad? Empty worship, disrespect. He makes a statement. It's very public. And he says, I cannot and will not tolerate these things. But even as he's doing this, he does what he often does in the story. He punctuates with his gospel. Jesus is always, read the rest of John. He's always doing something and then saying, yep, this is what that's all about. It's about me coming so that you might have life in, 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 in faith through, you know, through me, you can have life. He, he's always punctuating with his gospel. Look at what it says in verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? What gives? Why'd you mess up Passover? Jesus doesn't answer their question. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus hardly ever answers the question that's asked of him. A lot of times he'll answer a question with a question or he'll give an answer that doesn't really answer the question. Jesus answered them and said, This, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said to him, What? It's taken 46 years to build this temple. The Herodian temple that they were standing in had been started around 20 BC, and now it's some 40, you know, six years more than that, uh, since the inception of the temple. And they're like, this place took 46 years. You're going to build it again in three days? I got a friend uh, who's a house builder. He's actually on a show on HGTV where they build houses in 100 days, and he's told me, that is pushing it. In Hillsborough County, that doesn't happen. So 100 days is a lot for a house. Building a temple the size of 35 acres With uh, rocks in it uh, as as wide as this front row and as high as me, I've seen them. You're not getting that done in, in three days. Of course, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. He was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus did these things and at the end of of all of his signs, of all of his teachings, he just keeps pointing to the good news that he's been uh, sent to this world to give. And that's our mission. As, as life goes on, just give us the opportunity to point people to Jesus. I had lunch yesterday with a friend of mine, a young guy uh, who uh, works out, uh, as, it was, as it is at the same gym I do. Um, he decided to work with a trainer. He, he could have gone with one of his friends, who is a trainer, in this same string of gyms at another location. And he could have gotten it for free, but he said, you know what? I'm going to pay the price, and I'm going to get a trainer assigned to me from the, the, you know, the, the gym that's up here so that maybe I could share the gospel with this guy. And that's exactly what he did on the first day. He says, hey, thank you for helping me work out. I'd like to help you work out who Jesus is. Is that cool? And the guy said, yes. And so as they've been doing their workouts, he's been injecting Jesus. And they just had, he told me yesterday at lunch, they just had their first sit down at this guy's house, walk through the Bible. And he, you know, it's so refreshing. This guy, you know, my friend says, it's so refreshing. He doesn't, he doesn't know what a chapter and a verse is. He doesn't know, he doesn't know any of that stuff, but he wants to. And I was like, bro, that's, that's it. That's what I've been telling you guys. Be disciples who make disciples. Wherever you go, intentionalize the opportunities that God can give you so that you might inject Jesus. Jesus never missed a chance to point people to the truth. All right, I'll close with this. Like I already told you uh, this morning, uh, Jesus is going to cleanse the temple again. Three Passovers from this one, he's going to go into the same temple and he's going to do the same job that he does in the telling of this story. He's a repeat temple cleanser. Now if you read the New Testament you're going to see as Paul and Peter and others uh, who author those letters um, one of their main missions in the early church as he writes to the churches that are labeled there in our Bibles is to to help them get rid of the stuff that's inhibiting in their worship of God. And so through those that he inspired to write his scripture Jesus continues to cleanse the temple. Here's a question I have for us today. If Jesus showed up here at Bay Life, what would he do? What would Jesus do if he came to our temple? This is a scary question for the pastor to be asking. Can I be honest with you? As the shepherd, this is kind of going to fall on me. Hey, here's, here's, I'm looking at you and some of you are like, I don't know what he do. I trust that he would be loving and gentle and gracious, but I trust with some of us, he'd walk right up to us and be like, Seriously? This is what you got. Gave my life so that you could have so great a salvation. Uh, showed you in my life the reverence and the awe that we're meant to approach the Father with. Kind of leads me to the last question I want to ask you. What would Jesus do if you came to your temple? And you're like, I'm not a temple. Absolutely you are. Paul tells us, as he writes to the the Corinthians in his first letter to him, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. And one more time, you are that temple. Can you close your eyes with me this morning? Here's what I want to do as we just kind of finish. Whether you're online or here in the room or wherever you are, can you just kind of pause for a moment this morning and ask yourselves those questions what would Jesus do if he came to this our collective temple but even more importantly what would Jesus do and what is Jesus doing as he comes to your temple to your heart right now if you don't know Jesus you haven't become the temple yet and if that's you I'd love to talk to you this morning about how you can meet him and trust him for the first time but as everybody kind of just pauses in this moment with their heads bowed as you connect with our Father and enlist his Holy Spirit to search your heart, just ask him in this moment, what doesn't belong in my temple? What are the things, God, that are not fully given over to the, the right and authentic worship of you? What, what is missing and keeping me from worshiping you in spirit and truth? I'm just going to be quiet for a second. That's how I sense God wanted us to close. Just have a time with him, as Darnisha plays. Ask him, see if there be any wicked way in me, Father, and lead me in the path of righteousness. If you're in the room or even if you're home, would you stand with me now? Just stand with me as we close in prayer. God, we've started this time of reflection. Maybe it needs to continue. Maybe people in the room just need to sit and be quiet for a second. And even as I'm done praying, just continue to connect with you. If we're sitting at home and uh, uh, we've uh, realized from you today the things that uh, need to be cleansed from our temple. God, would you... Um, just grant us your grace your strength your courage to face these things to honestly assess and address what's going on in our lives Lord we know uh, uh, that it's your desire that we would give you a holy and fully of ourselves that we'd honor you with our hearts that we'd uh, live for you in the truth that you give us forgive us for when we don't uh, God renew us in our minds uh, fill us with your spirit draw us into a life of honest heartfelt worship make us the disciples you've called us to be and then and then use us god for your glory in the lives of others so that they can follow you too i pray these things god because they're the heart that i have for my life and for you and your or for your church And, and god would you just grant us these things today i pray in jesus name Amen and amen. God bless you guys as you go.